Section 26 of Celebrated Travels and Travellers, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Celebrated Travels and Travellers, Volume 3, The Great Explorers and Travellers of the Nineteenth Century by Jules Verne. Second Part, Chapter 2, Part 1, French Circumnavigators 2. The islands which Freycinet calls the islands of the Papuans are Rawak, Boni, Waiju, and Manuran, which are situated almost immediately below the equator. The largest of these, Waiju, is not less than 72 miles from one side to the other. The low shoreage consists mainly of swamp and morass, while the banks, which run up steeply, are surrounded by coral reefs and are full of small caves hollowed out by the waves. All the islets are clothed with vegetation of surprising beauty. They abound with magnificent trees amongst which the Barringtonia may be recognised with its voluminous trunk always leaning towards the sea, allowing the tips of the branches to touch the water. The Sivola lobelia fig trees, mangroves, the casuarinae, with their straight and slender stems shooting up to the height of forty feet, the rima, the takanahaka, with its trunk more than twenty feet in circumference, the cynometer belonging to the family of the leguminous plants, bright from its topmost to its lowest branches with pale red flowers and golden fruits, and besides these rarer trees, Palms, nutmeg trees, rose-apple trees, banana trees flourish in the low and moist ground. The fauna, however, has not attained to the same exceptionally fine development as the flora. At Rawak, the phalanger and the sheepdog in a wild state were the only quadrupeds met with. In Waiju, the boar called Barbarossa and the diminutive of the same race were found. But as to the feathered tribe, they were not so numerous as one might have supposed, the plants yielding grain necessary for the sustenance of birds not being able to thrive in the dense shade of the forests. Hornbills are met with here, whose wings, furnished with long feathers separated at the tips, make a very loud noise when they fly, Great quantities of parrots, kingfishers, turtle doves, piping crows, brown hawks, crested pigeons, and possibly also birds of paradise, though the travellers did not see any specimens. The Papuans themselves are positively repulsively ugly. To quote the words of Aude Payon, a flat skull, a facial angle of seventy-five degrees, a large mouth, eyes small and sunken, a thick nose flat at the end and pressed down on the upper lip, a scanty beard, a peculiarity of the people of those regions already noticed, shoulders of a moderate size, a prominent belly and slight lower limbs. These are the chief characteristics of the Papuans. Their hair, both in its nature and mode of arrangement, varies a good deal, most commonly it is dressed with great pains into a matted structure not less than eight inches in height, composed of a mass of soft downy hair curling naturally, or it is frizzed up till it positively bristles, 
and with the assistance of a coating of grease is plastered round the skull in the shape of a globe a long wooden comb of six or seven teeth is also often stuck in not so much to aid in keeping the mass together as to give a finishing touch of ornament these unfortunate people are afflicted with the terrible scourge of leprosy which is so prevalent that at least a tenth part of the population are infested with the disease the cause of this dreadful malady must be sought in the insalubrity of the climate the miasma from the marshes which are overflowed with sea-water every flood-tide the neighbourhood of the burial places which are badly kept and perhaps also the consumption of shellfish which these natives devour greedily all the houses whether inland or on the coast are built on piles many of these dwellings are erected in places extremely difficult of access they are made by thrusting stakes into the earth to which transverse beams are fastened with ropes made of fibre and on these a flooring is laid of palm leaves trimmed and strongly intertwined with one another these leaves made to lap over in an artistic fashion are also used for the roof of the house which has only one door should the dwellings be built over the water communication is carried on between them and the shore by means of a kind of bridge resting upon trestles the movable flooring of which can be quickly taken up every house is also surrounded by a kind of balcony furnished with a balustrade the travellers could not obtain any information as to the friendly disposition of these natives whether the whole tribe consists of large communities united under one chief or several whether each community obeys its own proper head whether the population is numerous or not are all points which could not be ascertained the name by which they call themselves is alfuros they appear to talk in several distinct dialects which differ remarkably from papuan or malay the inhabitants of this group seem to be a very industrious race they manufacture all sorts of fishing apparatus very cleverly they are expert in finding their way through the forests they know how to prepare the pith of the sago plant and to make ovens for the cooking of the sago they can turn pottery ware weave mats carpets baskets and can also carve idols and figures in the harbour of Boni, on the coast of Waiju, Messrs. Khoi and Gaimard noticed a statue moulded in white clay under a sort of canopy close to a tomb. It represented a man standing upright, of the natural height, with his hands raised towards heaven. The head was of wood, with the cheeks and eyes inlaid with small pieces of white shell. On the sixth of january eighteen nineteen having taken in supplies at rawak the uranie proceeded on her voyage and soon came in sight of the ayu islands mere sandbanks surrounded by breakers of which few geographical details have been known up to that point there was much to be done in the way of accurate survey 
but unfortunately the hydrographers were sorely hindered in their work by the fever which they and some forty of the crew had contracted at Rowick. Sailing on, the Anchoret Islands came in sight on the 12th of February, and on the day following the Amaranths, but the Uranie did not attempt to make for the land. Shortly after passing the Amaranths, the corvette sighted St. Bartholomew, which the inhabitants call Pulusuk. It belongs to the Caroline archipelago. A busy trade, always attended with much uproar, was soon set on foot with the indigenous people, who resisted all persuasion to come on board, conducting all their transactions nevertheless with admirable good faith, in no instance showing any dishonest tendencies. One after another, Kuluhat, Dalet, Tamatam, Alap, Tanadik, all islands belonging to this archipelago, passed before the admiring gaze of the French navigators. At length, on the 17th of March, 1819, just 18 months from the time of quitting France, Freycinet got sight of the Marianne Islands and cast anchor in the roads of Umata on the coast of Guam. Just as the officers of the expedition were ready to go ashore, the governor of the island, Don Medanilla y Pineda, accompanied by his lieutenant, Major Don Luis de Torres, came on board to bid them welcome. These gentlemen showed a polite anxiety to learn what the explorers stood in need of, and engaged that all their wants should be supplied with the least possible delay. No time was lost in looking for a place suited for conversion into a temporary hospital, and one being found, the sick on board, to the number of twenty, were removed to it for treatment the very next day. A dinner to the staff of the expedition was given by the governor, and all the officers assembled in his house at the appointed hour. They found a table covered with light cakes and fruits, in the midst of which were two bowls of hot punch. Some surprise escaped the guests, in private remarks to one another, at this singular kind of banquet. Could it be a fast day? Why did no one sit down? But as there was no interpreter to clear up these points, and as it would have been unbecoming to ask for an explanation, they kept their difficulties for solution among themselves, and paid attention to the good things before them. Soon a fresh surprise came. The table was cleared, and covered with various sorts of prepared dishes. In short, a substantial and sumptuous dinner was served. The collation which had been taken at the commencement, called in the language of the country refresco, had been intended only to whet the appetites of the guests for what was to follow. After this, luxurious dinners became quite the rage at Guam. Two days subsequent to the governor's banquet, the officers found themselves at a dinner party of fifty guests, where no less than forty-four separate dishes were served at each of the three courses of which the dinner consisted. Freycinet, from information he had received, relates that this dinner cost the lives of two oxen and three fat pigs, 
to say nothing of poultry, game, and fish. Such a slaughter, I should think, has not been known since the marriage feast of Gamache. No doubt our host considered that persons who had undergone so many privations during a protracted voyage ought to be compensated with an unusually profuse entertainment. The dessert showed no falling off, either in abundance or in variety. It was succeeded by tea, coffee, creams, liqueurs of every description, and, as the refresco had been served as usual an hour previous to dinner, it will be admitted without question that at Guam the most intrepid gourmand could find no other cause for disappointment but the limited capacity of the human stomach. However, the objects of the mission were not interfered with by all this dining and festivity. Natural history excursions, magnetical observations, the geographical survey of the island of Guam, entrusted to Duperry, were all being pushed forward simultaneously. But in the meantime, the corvette had got to moorings in the deep water off the port of St. Louis, while the chief of the staff, as well as the sick, were housed at Agagna, the capital of the island and the seat of government. At that place, in honour of the French visitors, cockfights took place, a kind of sport very popular in all the Spanish possessions in Oceania. Dances also were given, the figures in which, it was said, contained allusions to events in the history of Mexico. The dancers, students of the Agagna College, were dressed in rich silks imported a long time previously by the Jesuits from New Spain. Then came combats with sticks in which the Carolins took part, which were again succeeded almost uninterruptedly by other amusements. But what Freycinet considered of most value was the mass of information concerning the customs and manners of the former inhabitants of the islands, which he obtained through Major Don Luis Torres, who himself born in the country, had made a constant study of this subject. Of this interesting information, use will be made when the subject is presently resumed, but first some notice must be taken of an excursion to the islands Rota and Tinian, the latter of which had already become known to us through the narratives of former travellers. On the 22nd of April, a small fleet of eight proas conveyed Messrs. Berard, Gardichot and Jacques Arago to Rota, where the revival occasioned great surprise and alarm, explained by the fact that a report had gained currency in the island that the corvette was banned with rebels from America. Beyond Rota, the proas reached Tinian, where the arid plains recalled to the travellers the desolate coasts of the land of Indracht, testifying to the considerable changes that must have taken place there since the time when Lord Anson described the place as a terrestrial paradise. The Marian Archipelago was discovered by Magellan on the 6th of March, 1521, and at first received the name of Islas de la Vela Satinas, the Isles of the Latine Sails, but subsequently that of the Ladrones, or the Robbers. If one may trust Pigafetta, 
the illustrious admiral saw no islands but Tinian, Saipan, and Agonian. Five years later they were visited by the Spaniard Loyasa, whose cordial reception was quite a contrast to that of Magellan and in 1565 the islands were declared to be Spanish territory by Miguel Lopez de Legaspi. It was not, however, till 1669 that they were colonized and evangelized by Father San Vitores. It will be understood that we should not follow Freycinet's narrative of past events in the history of this archipelago, were it not that the manuscripts and works of every kind which he was permitted to consult enabled him to treat the subject de novo and throw upon it the light of real knowledge. The admiration still lingering in the minds of the travellers, which had been aroused by the incredible fertility of the Papuan Islands and the Moluccas, was no doubt calculated to weaken the impression produced by any of the Marianne Islands, the forests of Guam, though well stocked, did not present the gigantic appearance common to forest scenery in the tropics. They extended over a large part of the island, yet there are also immense spaces devoted to pasturage, where not a breadfruit tree nor a coconut palm was to be seen. In the depths of the forests, moreover, the conquerors of the islands had created artificial glades, in order that the herds of horned cattle which they had introduced might find food and also enjoy shelter from the sun. Agoignan, an island with a very rocky coast, presented from a distance an arid and barren appearance, but is in reality thickly clothed with trees, even to the summit of its highest mountains. Rota is a regular jungle, an almost impenetrable mass of brushwood above which rise thickets of remus, tamarind, fig and palm trees. Tinian, too, presents anything but an agreeable appearance. The French explorers altogether missed the charming scenes described in such glowing colours by their predecessors, but the appearance of the soil and the immense number of dead trees led them to the conclusion that old accounts were not altogether exaggerated, especially as the southern portion of the island is now rendered quite inaccessible by its dense forests. At the time of Freycinet's visit, the population of these islands was of a very mixed character, the aborigines being quite in the minority. The more highly born of the natives were formerly bigger, stronger and better made than Europeans, but the race is degenerating and the primitive type in its purity is now only to be met with in Rota. Capital swimmers and divers, able to walk immense distances without fatigue, every man of them had to prove his proficiency in these exercises on his marriage. But although this proficiency has been in some measure kept up, the leading characteristic of the people of the Marianne group is idleness, or perhaps to be more strictly accurate, indifference. Marriages are contracted at a very early age, the bridegroom being generally between 15 and 18, the bride between 12 and 15. A numerous progeny is the result of these unions, 
instances being on record of twenty-two children born of one mother. Not only do the people of Guam suffer from many diseases such as lung complaints, smallpox, etc., introduced by Europeans, but also from some which seem to be endemic, or in any case to have assumed a type peculiar to the place and altogether abnormal. Such are elephantiasis and leprosy, three varieties of which are met with at Guam, differing from each other alike in their symptoms and their effects. Before the conquest, the people of the Marians lived on the fruit of the rima, or bread-tree, rice, sago, and other farinaceous plants. Their mode of cooking these articles was extremely simple, though not so much so as their style of dress, for they went about in a state of nature, unrelieved even by the traditional fig-leaf. At the present time, children still wear no clothing till they are about ten years old. Alluding to this peculiar custom, Captain Pages, writing at the close of the last century, says, I found myself near a house in front of which an Indian girl about eleven years old was squatted on her heels in the full blaze of the sun without a vestige of clothing on. Her chemise lay folded on the ground in front of her, when she saw me approaching, she got up quickly and put it on again. Although still far from decently clothed, for only her shoulders were covered by it, she now considered herself properly dressed, and stood before me quite unembarrassed. Judging from the remains nearly everywhere to be met with, such as the ruins of dwellings originally supported by masonry pillars, it is plain that the population was formerly considerable. The earliest traveller who has made any reference to this subject is Lord Anson. He has given a somewhat fanciful description, which, however, the explorers in the Uranie were able to corroborate, as will be seen from the following extract. The description found in the narrative of Lord Anson's voyage is correct but the ruins and the branches of the trees that have in some way twined themselves about the masonry pillars wear now a very different aspect from what they did in his time. The sharp edges of the pillars have got rubbed away, and the half-globes that surmounted them have no longer their former roundness. Of the structures of a more recent date, only a sixth part are of stone. At Agania may be counted several buildings possessing some interest on account of their size, if not on that of their elegance, grandeur, or the fineness of their proportions. These are the College of St. John Lateran, the Church, the Clergy House, the Governor's Palace, and the Taverns. Before the Spaniards established their sway in these islands, the natives were divided into three classes, the nobility, the inferior nobility, and the commonalty. These last, the pariahs of the country, Freycinet remarks, though without citing his authority, were of a more diminutive stature than the other inhabitants. This difference of height is, however, scarcely a sufficient reason for pronouncing them to be of a different race from the other two classes, is it not more reasonable to conclude it to be the result of the degrading servitude to which they have been subjected?
these plebeians could under no circumstances raise themselves to a higher class and a seafaring life was forbidden to them each of the three castes had its own sorceresses and priestesses or medicine women who each devoted her attention to the treatment of some one disorder only no reason however for crediting them with any special skill in its cure the business of canoe-building was monopolised by the nobles, who, however, allowed the inferior nobles to assist in their construction. The making of canoes was to them a work of the utmost importance, and the nobles maintained it as one of their most valuable privileges. The language spoken in the Philippine group though it has some affinity with the Malay and Tagala dialects, has, all the same, a distinctive character of its own. Freysenet's narrative also contains much information on the extremely singular customs of the former population of the Marians, which are beyond our province, though well worthy of the attention of the philosopher and historian. The Urani had been now more than two months at anchor, it was full time to resume the work of exploration. Freycinet and his staff, therefore, devoted the few remaining days of their stay to the task of paying farewell visits and expressing their gratitude for the hearty kindness which had been so profusely shown to them. The governor, however, not only declined to admit his claim to thanks from the French travellers for the hospitable attentions heaped upon them for upwards of two months, but also refused to accept any payment for the supplies which had been furnished for the refitting of the corvette. He even went so far as to write a letter of apology for the scantiness of the provisions, the result of the drought which had desolated Guam for the previous six months, and which had prevented him from doing things as he could have wished. The final farewell took place off Agagna. It was impossible says Freycinet, to take leave of the amiable man who had loaded us with so many proofs of his friendly disposition, without being deeply affected. I was too much moved to be able to find expression for the feelings with which my heart was filled, but the tears which filled my eyes must have been to him a surer evidence than any words could have been of my gratitude and my regret. End of section 26